Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are In the NFL, the undefeated teams that are for real, and the sub-500 teams to panic about. Plus, the storylines to watch for during the last week of the MLB regular season. And the teams to watch for during the NHL preseason. It's episode 41 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. What's going on, everybody? Here on Thursday, September 30th, 2021, the 41st edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We apologize for the unexpected week off. It was a big-time celebration, and that's how this episode is being dedicated. Caroline, hope you had a great birthday, and this episode is dedicated to you because we did have some fun last week, which is why we weren't able to record, but... Obviously, the temperature is getting cool here. We're starting to feel like fall around the New England area. But that means football season is picking up. And so far, I'd say it's been one of the better starts to an NFL season in a long time. Almost all the primetime games have been phenomenal. A lot of teams performing over expectations and under expectations. And that's how we're going to start the show. By looking at the five undefeated teams still remaining in the NFL and really evaluate their chances. So the five teams right now are the Panthers, the Broncos, the Raiders, the Rams, and the Cardinals. Those are the remaining teams that are currently 3-0. and Now, it's still very early on to make any kind of expectations for the future, but the way things are going, Carolina, to me, I think they are for real. I think, you know, everyone's saying that they had an easy schedule and some could argue, you know, 19-14 over the Jets, 26-7 over the Saints, 24-9 over the Texans. So that's that's part of it. But I think, you know, it's all about how well this defense has played. I mean, they lead the league right now in yards allowed per game, sacks, and they're second in opponents' points per game with only 10. And I think the key to that has been their big free agency acquisition in Hassan Reddick. I mean, he's third in the NFL right now with four and a half sacks. You also have Brian Burns, who's got three, which is in the top 10. But obviously the story is around Sam Darnold. The fact that he is proving to be a capable quarterback in this league, because honestly, I wrote him off after about two years in the Jets, and I thought this dude wasn't going to be anywhere. But sure enough, you get out of the Jets system. And he starts to turn around and turn the corner. I mean, he's top 10 in total pass yards so far in the NFL. And he's correcting all the mistakes and the turnovers that haunted him with the Jets. I mean, he's only got one interception so far in the first three games. And he's only been sacked six times. Okay? If you remember from his time in the Jets, he was holding on to the ball a lot. He was, you know, making... Bad errors in terms of throwing the ball and trying to force and do too much. 
that's how I see Sam Darnold is he is so much better than he was against or while he was a part of the New York Jets. I'm not saying he's going to carry this team, but as long as you have a capable quarterback that will not manage the game so poorly, then you have a shot. I think this defensive group is legit for Carolina. I will say this week when they go to Arlington to play the Cowboys, it's going to be their toughest test so far. And not only that, but you don't have Christian McCaffrey for a few weeks and your top pick cornerback J.C. Horn is out for the season. So that's going to make it a little tougher for the Panthers, but I still think they're a legit team. I think they can contend at least for a wild card. I think they can at least contend. But the other team that's been a sort of a surprising 3-0 has been the Broncos. The Denver Broncos have been undefeated for the first time since the year after their Super Bowl win, which was Peyton Manning's last season. Now, it seems very illegitimate because I think they have the easiest schedule among the remaining undefeated teams. I mean, they beat the Giants, the Jaguars, and the Jets. Those teams are combined 0 for 9 on the year. 0 and 9 for a record. The only thing I see as a possible flaw with this Broncos team is just the defensive line and the pass rush. I think they're going to be the only questions. Because right now, they're tied for the fourth in NFL with four interceptions. I like that secondary. I like the ninth overall pick, Pat Sertain. I like Justin Simmons. I like Kareem Jackson as your safeties. And Kyle Fuller is your other cornerback. I also like Teddy Bridgewater. I've been a big fan of Teddy Bridgewater for a long time. I think he kind of got screwed out of a couple of places. Now he's in a place with a really good offense. I like the offense that Teddy Bridgewater is running. He's a capable quarterback. Much what I was talking about with Sam Darnold, this guy is a game manager. He's he's not going to give you 400 yards every single time. He's not going to give you five touchdowns, but he is just going to limit the mistakes because he's second right now with a almost 77 completion percentage, and he's got the fifth best quarterback rating so far in the NFL. Okay, but going back to what I was saying about the pass rush and all that, the defensive line, they're tied for 10th in the NFL with sacks. They've got eight, but four and a half of them are by Vaughn Miller, okay? And keep in mind, the other linebacker, Bradley Chubb, he's on IR because of ankle surgery. So that defense will be diminished for sure. Can they continue to sustain sustain that success and get to the quarterback and force those kind of sacks? And I think, you know, they're not legitimate because their schedule is not going to get any easier, okay? They've got those three teams who are 0-9. But then they get Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Vegas, Cleveland, Washington, and Dallas as the next couple of games. Okay, so that's, I don't see the Broncos as being a legit team. You know, maybe they finish at like an 8 and 9 or a 9 and 8, but I don't think they're really to be taken seriously. They're not someone where you could say, hey, maybe this is a team that can really make some noise out there. You know, maybe they can play spoiler, but I don't think, I don't think they're going to be the team to really. Uh, bet your money down on but then the other team I want to talk about are the Raiders okay because I think the jury is still out on them I think they have the most impressive stretch because of the teams that they've beaten they got that incredible overtime win in Baltimore the 26-17 win in Pittsburgh and then having to go to overtime versus Miami but that's the asterisk right there going to overtime against Miami a team that doesn't have Tua Tagovailoa, who has Jacoby Prissett 
as their quarterback, okay? This team also started off well. They started 2-0, but they finished 8-8 and missed the playoffs, okay? And that's been the history with the Raiders and more so their head coach, John Gruden, is he's always a fast starter, but he can just never sustain it, you know? He always gets off to these fast starts, but then they fumble down the stretch and end up dropping a couple of games. I think the offense for this team is going to be that carrying force. You know, I like Derek Carr. You know, he's leading the league in pass yards right now. I think he is a very underrated quarterback, and it's only because he's only been to the playoffs one time where really people kind of overlook him because I think he's a good passer. He's a really good quarterback. I think Josh Jacobs in that running game is going to have to balance out, though. They've got a great passing game with uh, Hunter Renfro, Henry Ruggs, Darren Waller at the tight end position. I think they're good, but it's the Josh Jacobs and the running game, you know, with Peyton Barber because Jacobs has the injury that really have to balance out with Carr. You got to get that that sustaining sort of play call if you're John Gruden. And then I think the defense just has to get slightly better, I think, to be really true contenders because they are in a tough division in the AFC West. They've got the Chiefs and the Chargers and even the Broncos in that division. I mean, Max Crosby looks great so far. But again, they went to overtime twice, and one of them was against a poor Miami team. So, uh, jury's still out on me. I think they can at least be a wild card team. Similar to the Panthers. I think they can be a wild card team. They do get a favorable schedule, I think, to at least make the playoffs. Before their bye, they get the Monday night game in Los Angeles, taking on the Chargers. Then they have the Bears, the Broncos, the Eagles. It's a favorable schedule, I would say. So I think they can make the playoffs. And I think they will make the playoffs this year. I know it's still early, but I think they're going to make it. And then the other teams who are 3-0, Cardinals and Rams, they're going to play each other, but I think they're both legit. I think everyone knew that these two teams were going to be really good heading into this uh, season. But now we get into our pickums here heading into week four. Obviously, we start with tonight's game, the Jaguars and the Bengals. I think the Jaguars are still a mess. They've still got some learning to do. I'm going to take Cincinnati in this one. I think Joe Burrow is back to where he once was before the injury. Now onto the Sunday night games, Washington and Atlanta. I think Washington has struggled a lot, okay? And that defense wasn't where it was last year. They've got the backup quarterback questions with Taylor Heineke. And plus, Matt Ryan is Matt Ryan. I think that offense is going to roll right over him. I'll take Atlanta in that game. Texans and Bills, no question there. Buffalo's back to the predictions everyone was at. Josh Allen's back to that MVP guy. That offense looks great. Defense is getting better. I'll take Buffalo in Buffalo to win that game. Lions and Bears is going to be a little bit of a tricky one because Justin Fields was not good at all last week against Cleveland. Not at all in his first career start. He was sacked nine times, okay? And I think the Lions are due for a victory, and I say they get it. I think they pull the upset and they beat the Chicago Bears because the Bears right now, they're in real disarray. Matt Nagy saying that every quarterback is an option to start. You know, that's dysfunction right then and there. So I'll take Detroit to get their first one of the year. Panthers and Cowboys. I got to say the Cowboys look great on Monday night against the Eagles. It is the Eagles though. This Panthers team, again, they're legit, but they are on the road 
and they don't have their top players, as I mentioned. So I think the Panthers drop their first game of the year. The Cowboys win this one at home. Colts and Dolphins. This one, this one's tricky. This one's tricky because I want to say that Indianapolis is going to get it, but Carson Wentz is playing on two bad legs. You know, this offense isn't the way it was when Phillip Rivers was at the helm. This is a tough one. I think I'm still going to go with Indy. I think, you know, Miami, they're might be a little bit deflated after that overtime loss against uh, Las Vegas, as I just mentioned. So I think the Colts are going to get this one done. I really do. Browns and Vikings, you know, I was on Cleveland before the season started, and I think they are, as of right now, I know it's only three games, but they are the best team in that division right now in the AFC North. So I think the Browns are going to win this one over the Vikings. That's one of the easiest ones, I should say. Giants at Saints. I think the Saints are riding high after that win in New England. I think they're at home. They're in the Superdome. I mean, why would I not pick the Saints in any kind of home opener? If it's a home opener or a playoff game in New Orleans, I will favor the Saints before a line even comes out. I don't care who it is. I will favor the Saints. Titans and Jets. Too easy on that one. Tennessee is going to roll over to the Jets. Totally roll over them. I know they're not going to have... They might not have A.J. Brown. They might not have Julio Jones. But there's a guy on the roster by the name of Derrick Henry. I think he'll be able to carry this offense. And I'll take Tennessee. Chiefs and Eagles. Now, I really wanted to talk about Kansas City. Because they're 1-2. and two. Can you believe that? The team that's went to three straight AFC Championship games and two straight Super Bowls. They are my Super Bowl pick. I don't think it's time to panic just yet. I think, you know, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, all those guys are going to right the ship. They just got to limit those mistakes. And I think the Chiefs do win this game. They'll at least beat Philadelphia in Philadelphia. Now to the 4 o'clock games. As I mentioned, Cardinals-Rams. I think that's going to be the best game of the week. Best game of the week. I think the advantage is LA playing at home. They're riding high after that win against Tampa. I'm going to pick the Rams to beat the Cardinals on this one. Just because that offense looks really good. For Arizona, Hopkins is, you know, his ribs are hurting a little bit. That run game, you're still trying to figure out who's your lead guy. I will take the LA Rams in that one. And then the other NFC West matchup, Seahawks and Niners. I gotta say, there might be some panic in Seattle. They're one and two, and they blew a lead. They blew a lead to Tennessee in week two. They had the struggle last week. I think the Niners are going to take this one. I think the 49ers will upset the Seahawks, and the Seahawks will get into some big-time trouble. I really do. Ravens and Broncos. I think, again, being at home is going to help Denver. But Baltimore, I mean, what an incredible performance in Detroit. Justin Tucker with the record field goal. I mean, how can you not ride high after that one? I think the Broncos are going to get their first loss, and it's going to be at the hands of the Baltimore Ravens. That's what I think. The other 4 o'clock game, Steelers-Packers. I think the Steelers, you know, Ben Roethlisberger is not the Ben Roethlisberger of old. TJ Watt missed the game last week. Who knows if he's going to be playing for this week. And plus, Green Bay, after that tremendous comeback against the Niners, Aaron Rodgers has got that fire under him. I'll take Green Bay to win that one at Lambeau. And then the Sunday night primetime game, everyone's talking about it for drama line purposes, Bucks and Pats. With Tom Brady's return, we'll talk about that in our Let's Get Local segment. But in terms of a game pick, 
I think the Buccaneers are going to win this one. I think it's going to be closer than people think. I think the energy in Gillette is going to be really riding high. And plus, Tampa's coming off that loss to the Rams. So I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be closer than people think, but I'll still take Tampa to win that game. And then finally, the Sunday night game, Raiders-Chargers. This one, this one's tricky. I think, I think the Raiders are going to win this one at home. I really do. I think they'll squeak it out. I think they'll get it by a field goal. Because again, these Raiders are a hot team to start. I know the Chargers beat Kansas City and they might be riding high. But I think somehow the Raiders are going to pull this one out. And they'll find themselves in the win column. Get themselves at 4-0. But all I know is, is that if the first, if the season for the NFL is going to be just like the first three weeks of the season, we are in for an exciting NFL regular season. So while the NFL is still kicking off their season, the MLB is wrapping up their regular season and we're down to the nitty gritty, only a few days left in the regular season and there are plenty of storylines to watch out for. Plenty of storylines, plenty of division races and playoff spots still to be had and we just got to evaluate who's got the best shot of getting those last couple playoff spots and what storylines are out there and I thought it's the great subject for our weekly segment known as Hot Takes. So obviously the big story to start out is the AL wild card. We've got five teams still eligible for two of those spots. Right now the standings are the Yankees in the top spot, one game up on the Red Sox, and the Red Sox have that second wild card spot, a half game up on the Mariners, one game up on the Blue Jays, and four and a half games up on the Oakland Athletics. And who knows, by this time tomorrow, it could go down to four teams since the Athletics, if they lose another game, then they're going to be eliminated. So it would come down to four teams for two spots. And I think for this, you really have to look at the schedule. I think last night for the Red Sox winning against Baltimore, I think puts them back in the driver's seat. Losing that series opener was definitely a blow, but I don't think it's a ginormous blow. You can't lose it just yet you can't lose it just yet and there's still plenty of action still to go out there they got the nationals who since the all-star break are not a good team at all so i think the red sox are they should be in the driver's seat the yankees meanwhile they've got the toughest schedule because once they finish with toronto then they go back home they go back home and take on the tampa bay Rays. The Blue Jays, after they finish with the Yankees, they're going to play the Orioles. And then the Mariners, after the Athletic Series, are going to take on the Angels. So for a schedule-favored-wise kind of thing, I think it would be Red Sox and Blue Jays, who I've been riding on for a couple of weeks now. And I, you know, I'm still going to ride on that just a little bit. But I think the Yankees have done a great job of staying alive, you know, especially getting that sweep at Fenway against the Red Sox put them really in a good spot because there was that one point before the all-star break no one even thought they were going to be this far or even contend for the playoffs but those standings are just super super tight where you cannot lose one game you basically got to go undefeated the rest of the way 
And I think, you know, with the Red Sox playing the Orioles and the Nationals back to back, I think that helps their cause that they at least make a wild card spot. Not sure if it's going to be the top one or the bottom, but I do think the Red Sox make a wild card spot. And then Toronto, really all they got to do, all they got to do is just win this next game. Win this next game and they're in the driver's seat. Because depending on how things go, that means the Red Sox and the Yankees will be tied with the Blue Jays. It'd be a three-team tie. And, or actually, I correct myself. The Red Sox and the Yankees would be tied and the Blue Jays would be tied with the Yankees. I don't know. It's 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 really confusing. I'm not sure exactly what the setup is, but I think I'm still going to ride with Red Sox, Blue Jays. I think those are the two best teams out of here. I think the Yankees, again, their pitching is just a little too inconsistent. Their offense is very hit and miss. They did take the game on Tuesday night where they beat uh, the Blue Jays, and then the Blue Jays came back the next night. I will say the winner of that series will make the wild card. I think whoever wins tonight's game between Toronto and New York, I think they're in the driver's seat, and I think they get into the wild card. Because, yes, the Rays aren't playing for anything because they've won the division, but they still got to show that they're the best team in the American League. They've already clinched the best record, so I think that's what it comes down to to the AL wild card. I don't trust the Mariners. I don't trust the Yankees. Give me the Red Sox and the Blue Jays. Now, shifting leagues, the other storyline you got to watch out for is the NL East because that division could be decided by the time this episode airs once it drops on Friday because tonight, Braves and Phillies play one more time. But over the next four games, as long as Atlanta wins or Philly loses once, then the Braves are in. They clinch that division. And I think they're really... Atlanta's a team that can really play spoiler because if they win the division, they would play the Brewers. We already know that the Dodgers or the Giants are going to have the best record in the National League. Brewers are second, and then whoever wins that NL East is going to be third. I think Atlanta is playing great so far. I mean, yes, there is a 12-game difference between Atlanta and Milwaukee, but Atlanta's won nine of the last 10, including five straight. And they have a great offense. You know, they're third in the majors in team home runs. They've got three 30 home run hitters, Austin Riley, Freddie Freeman, Ozzie Albies. I think this is a team that really can shake things up and really just play spoiler ultimately for the Brewers. Because Brewers have been so flying under the radar for so long. And now here come the Braves. All of a sudden, they're getting their offense in shape. They've got a great top of the rotation with uh, Charlie Morton, I think I think this Atlanta team can be taken for real. I know they're going to be the worst team in the playoffs record-wise, but I still think they're a dangerous team. You know, this is a team that's won that division three straight times and could make it four, and they got to the NLCS last year, okay? They were one series away from getting to the World Series. So this is a team that can catch fire. And remember, they're doing all of this without their superstar Acuna, who's been out for months, months. But then the last story I want to look at is the NL West. I mean, that is going to be a dogfight. It is a dogfight all the way to the end between the Dodgers and the Giants. I mean, it's still a two-game difference 
But again, you have to look at the schedule right now, okay? San Fran's got the easier one. They're home for the last two series, Arizona and San Diego. LA, home against San Diego and Milwaukee. Now, I know Milwaukee doesn't really have that much to play for, but again, this is... It's sort of a different team where you can't just throw, you know, your bench out there or your AAA team out there. You only get a handful of guys, and your starters are going to be playing in that game. I still think the Giants will win that division. The Dodgers are going into the wildcard game, and I feel like they should wipe the floor with the Cardinals. But the Cardinals, after before last night's loss, won 17 straight games. 17 straight games. They could be the ultimate spoiler in the MLB playoffs. And of course, we're going to get a playoff preview on that once everything's set. But we already know in the National League that the NL West winner is going to play um, the wild card winner. And the wild card will be the Cardinals and either the Giants or the Dodgers. We know that the Brewers are going to play whoever wins the NL East. We know in the American League, the Tampa Bay Rays will play the wild card team out of the AL. And we know that the White Sox will take on the Houston Astros, who should win that division. But in the chase, in the hunt for October, and then a little bit into November, depending on if things go well, the fight for that World Series trophy is just going to get even more intense than it already is. Now, as I mentioned, it's starting to become fall in the New England area, and that means a lot of things. Leaves changing color, temperatures dropping, and hockey is coming back. And the NHL preseason just got underway this past weekend, and I thought, let's take a look at a few teams to really keep your eyes on ahead of the start of the regular season. And I think the first one's pretty obvious. I mean, it's the official start for this 32nd franchise in the NHL. The Seattle Kraken because we've seen what the Golden Knights have done in their first year of expansion they set the standard they got all the way to the Stanley Cup in their first year and it's because of that that all the attention is going right on Seattle they've got multiple national TV games they're setting jersey sale records I mean all the pressure is on the Kraken to at least copy what the Golden Knights did a couple of years ago when they had their first year. So that's a lot of expectations. Those are some deep expectations. But they do have a great roster, I will I will say. Philip Grubauer, as their goaltender, that's going to already give them success right then and there. I mean, he was a Vezina Trophy finalist last year. 39-1 and was his record. A 195 goals against average and a 922 save percentage. I mean, a good hockey team starts and ends with a good goalkeeper, and you've got one of the best in the NHL for that one. I know the NHL tried to veto that little deal that they had earlier on, but Grubauer did get on the Kraken roster. I think that's a huge boost for Seattle in their first year. Another thing is their scoring options. Jordan Eberle coming over from the Islanders, and Yanni Gord coming over from Tampa. They're going to be their primary scoring options, and I think 
That is huge. Because Jordan Eberle, I think, is a star in this league. He's someone that every team would want to have. And Yanni Gord, he was the fourth leading point scorer for Tampa during their Stanley Cup run. He had 36 points on the year. So those are going to be your scoring options right there. And then on defense, you have Mark Giordano, Adam Larson, Jeremy Lauzon. They've got a ton of weapons on that defensive team. So do I think this Kraken team can have the same success that the Golden Knights do? Possibly. I think they have a good roster, and I think they can contend for the playoffs. I think they can at least get into the playoff picture. I don't think they're going to be exactly like the Golden Knights and all of a sudden get right to the Stanley Cup. Because, let's be honest, what the Golden Knights did was like a one in a million kind of thing. To be an expansion team in your very first year, go all the way to the Stanley Cup, it's very rarely going to be duplicated, and I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. But the other team I wanted to watch for in this preseason were the Buffalo Sabres. Not because of their ice, their play on the ice, but because of all the drama they've got off of it. If you want some drama, Jack Eichel versus the Buffalo Sabres are going to be the drama line story of the 2021-22 campaign in the National Hockey League. Because let's be honest, they are going to be in the cellar. With or without Eichel. They're going to be in the cellar. Because Eichel is recovering from a herniated disc back in March. And there's been so much back and forth about whether to get surgery or not get surgery. And we already know that Eichel lost his captaincy because he failed his physical ahead of the training camp. And I think this is going to be the biggest storyline of the season. Is whether he's traded or not. Because the Sabres did the exact same thing last year with Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall was the second best option on that Buffalo team. And they traded him to Boston. They got rid of him. So you're almost thinking Jack Eichel is going to be next. So he's going to be sort of in that same pot as Taylor Hall. But it's just something to watch for off the ice. What more dysfunction is there in that Buffalo organization? Are the Sabres going to make any moves with Jack Eichel? Are they just going to continue to hold him out? Because there's still tons of years and tons of money on his contract. It's a tough contract to move, but they have to do it this year or Eichel stays a Sabre for the next four years. There's a no-movement clause in that contract. So if the Sabres are going to move him, they have to move him this season. So that drama is something to really keep your eye out heading into the NHL season. But then the final team, of course, you have to talk about the Stanley Cup champions, the Tampa Bay Lightning. They're going for the three-peat, and... We've seen teams go back-to-back. The Penguins did it a few years ago. But this is going to be a lot different now because the divisions are back to their original format pre-pandemic shutdown. They're back. So the Atlantic Division is going to have the Panthers, the Bruins, the Leafs, the Canadians included in that, and all of them made the playoffs. All of them made the postseason last year. And not only that, But it's similar to the Golden State Warriors when they had their run. They've got shortened off-seasons yet again. They've got two straight shortened off-seasons now. From September, from the end of September 2020 to January 2021. That's only three months to get ready. July 2021 to September 2021. That's only two months. 
I mean, really three months if you count, you know, the regular season. But training camp started at the end of September, so you only get two months. So is that going to take a toll on this Tampa team? Now, they still have a great core. They've got a great core on uh, Vasilevsky is their goaltender, one of the best keepers in the entire league. You still have Hedman and McDonough on defense. You've still got your top point scorers with uh, Braden Point, Steven Stamkos at center, Maroon, Palat, Kucherov at your wings. I think they did lose a lot of depth. They did lose a lot of depth at center with Blake Coleman signing to Calgary and the aforementioned Yanni Gord with the Kraken. So it's still something to really keep your eyes on for this Tampa team is how well do they fit fill that depth? That's going to be the biggest question for Tampa. Are they going to be... Uh, are these shortened off seasons going to take a toll on them? And will they have the depth to try and make it a three-peat? But the good thing about the NHL having a preseason is we can have these storylines now and get a good discussion going on before the regular season gets underway. Now it's time for the segment all you New England listeners have been waiting for, our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And of course, we got to start with the Patriots. They've had a really poor showing this past Sunday leading up to the biggest game in Foxborough in about two years when Tom Brady comes home. But let's start with that Saints game for week three this past Sunday. Falling to one and two, losing 28 to 13 at home against the Saints. Gillette was a place that many teams feared to start playing in. They started to fear it. They didn't want to go in there. And now that mystique is kind of gone. I mean, Mac Jones had the worst game of his short career so far. 30 of 51, 270 yards, a touchdown, and three picks. Three picks. Now, I'm not going to say the cause of that loss was because of Mac Jones. It wasn't. Run defense was horrid. Absolutely horrid, okay? They could not stop Alvin Kamara the entire game. And Taysom Hill on that last drive was basically going wherever the heck he wanted to, okay? This team allowed 142 rush yards. You know how many pass yards Jameis Winston had? He only had like 112, okay? 89 of those rush yards were by Alvin Kamara. Four of the six rushes for Taysom Hill was during the last touchdown drive for the Saints, Okay, that was a poor, poor showing. Okay, I think, you know, the offense is still having their problems, but we've known that for weeks. Okay, and Jones, that pass to Kendrick Bourne was great. It was kind of like a Hail Mary, you know, just throw it up there, hope for the best. But Bourne made a nice adjustment and the offense was looking better in the second half. But this defense just cannot stop. They can't make the big plays. That's ultimately what it is. You let Jameis Winston drive down the field so many times. Okay? This is this is not Tom Brady you're playing. This isn't Aaron Rodgers. It's Jameis Winston. Okay? I know I'm a fan of Winston and thought he'd turn, turn it around when he gets to New Orleans. But he only threw for like 120 yards. How do you allow that? Okay? Especially, I remember watching the game. It was like 4th and 1 or 3rd and 1, whatever. And J.C. Jackson is like 10 yards off 
of, I think it was Callaway or something like that. And Winston, all he had to do, quick slot, he was wide open for a first down. Okay, so the run defense and the coaching was just not good in that game. Not good at all. And honestly, the Pats should be 2-1. and one. They should be 2-1, and one, not 1-2. and two, Okay, because you can afford to have games like this, but not when you're all of a sudden behind the eight ball already. Now, it's still early on. Let's get that in mind. It's still early on. But the biggest game in your life for if you're a New England fan is coming up right now. Tom Brady is coming back to Gillette for the first time since he left. And the Bucks are going to play the Pats on Sunday Night Football. Now, I already talked about the game result. I think Tampa's going to squeak this one out. But the drama is off the field right now, especially with new little details about this upcoming book by ESPN writer Seth Wickersham called It's Better to Be Feared. I mean, some of the notes in this was absolutely insane. I mean, Brady and Belichick saying goodbye over the phone. Robert Kraft calling Belichick the biggest effing a-hole in my life. I mean, let's be honest. When you've been with each other for 20 years, think of it like a good relationship or a friendship. When you've been around each other for over 20 years, tensions are going to build. There are going to be disagreements. It's a matter of how you get around those and get avoid them. Because everyone was pointing the finger at Bill Belichick for Tom Brady leaving, okay? This wasn't on Robert Kraft. This wasn't on Brady himself. This was on Belichick just not getting the personnel around him. And then hearing all these notes about Belichick, you know, not really making adjustments for Brady or something like that. I mean, there's always going to be love for Tom Brady and the Patriots. He's always going to have that love. And I think, you know, this this is a deeper thing because Belichick is always that stingy-nosed quarterback or a stingy uh, head coach in terms of, you know, making adjustments, not doing what regular coaches does, et cetera, et cetera. I think this is just Belichick, you know, being, again, that sort of angry old guy who doesn't want to conform to sort of a new era or whatever that may be. Because everyone does blame Belichick for the reason Tom Brady left, because he doesn't have the personnel around him. And, you know, who knows what else could have happened behind the scenes. You know, I'm sure there's plenty more in that book. I know I'm definitely going to get myself a copy when it comes out in October. But in terms of the drama when it gets to on the field, I think he's going to create, he's going to greet Robert Kraft. He's going to do the usual thing. He's going to greet Bill Belichick. And, you know, it's just a re- going back to the relationship analogy. You know, sometimes a good relationship or a friendship just needs space and it needs time to heal all wounds. So I think, you know, I don't think these two are going to completely hate each other for the rest of their lives. Not at all. I think there's still love between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. I mean, the dude... The combo won six Super Bowls for New England, okay? This was a guy in Tom Brady and Bill Belichick thinking, okay, we've won six Super Bowls in 20 years together. What's next, okay? So there's going to be nothing but love in Gillette Stadium, and there should be nothing but cheers during the video tribute and any other um, ceremony that Robert Kraft and the Patriots might put on for Brady. I will say, Rob Gronkowski is also making his return. He might be another question because I felt his departure was way more betraying than anything else. He knew what he was doing when he retired 
after that Rams Super Bowl. He just didn't want to be in New England anymore. And the minute he heard Tom Brady was not going to be in New England, he gets up off the couch saying, you know what? I'm ready to go. I feel good. Let's go play. And he gets himself into Tampa Bay. So I'm still a little bit bitter on that Gronkowski part of things. You know, he does say he loves New England, stuff like that. He's still going to have that relationship, but I'm just still a little bitter. I'm a little bitter about Gronkowski and the kind of slick move that he made to try and get to Tampa. Or not try to get to, he did get to Tampa. And now he got himself another Super Bowl. But that is going to be a game that the entire state of Massachusetts, the entire region of New England, hell, the entire planet, or at least the United States of America, are going to keep their eyes on. It's Tom Brady. How is he greeted when he comes back to the place that he spent 20 years of his career building his legacy? That's what it's going to come down to. And what's funny is that if this game wasn't getting played, the story around New England and Boston would be about the Red Sox fighting for their lives. That's what it would be about. But no, it's Tom Brady returning to New England. But getting on to the Red Sox, I mentioned them briefly during our MLB segment. I still think this is a team that can make the playoffs, regardless of whatever kind of wild card spot that may be. I still think they can make it. They can definitely make it. The problem is they cannot waste these kinds of games, okay? Losing in the series opener to Baltimore, where you only put up three hits on two solo home runs, that's that's not the performance of a playoff team. It's not. I've said it multiple times, multiple times, that when you get down to the end of any kind of regular season, no matter what it is, it's about beating the teams you know you can beat, okay? These are the teams you should beat. These are the teams you should win the series against, okay? Last night's win against Baltimore is something the team should have done, okay? Because they'd be in the driver's seat if they won that game in Baltimore. If they won that series opener, they would be tied with the Yankees for that top spot, with the Blue Jays, and they'd be firmly in the driver's seat of getting into the wild card. The benefit is that you finally righted the ship, you've got still that second wild card spot, and you still have the Nationals this upcoming weekend. So, not all hope is lost, but that offense needs to step up, okay? Once they lost the lead, they were in panic mode, okay? I think they only had like 11 pitches faced in the 7th, and then like 4 in the eighth, okay, where's the patience, okay, where's the calm, cool, and collected Red Sox team that we've seen for so long, okay, because this is an offense that can produce, JD Martinez can hit 400-foot bombs, Hunter Renfro can hit bombs, Schwarber can hit bombs, okay, we know what this offense can do, and we already have questions about the pitching, but they seem to get themselves together in this Baltimore series, not saying they can do it in the postseason, but they can at least do it for the Orioles and then against the Nationals. So I'm still riding high that the Red Sox can make this wild card team or this wild card spot, but I don't think they can go that far, regardless of who they play. I think whatever line comes out, if it's the Yankees or the Blue Jays, I think they're going to be the underdogs, you know, regardless of if they have to travel or not. They're going to be the underdogs. But then, as I mentioned in the NHL segment, we got to talk about the Bruins. The Bruins are going into a new era, an era without Tuka Rask, okay? And Jeremy Swayman is going to be the goaltender. I don't know how much faith you can have in Swayman being the guy. I always thought 
Swayman was going to be that backup that sort of competes for it. But now, all of a sudden, he's thrown into it. And obviously, part of it is Tukaras' hip injury. That's still making him a free agent, and he hasn't signed anywhere else. So, part of that is because Swayman is at the top right now. But I will say that this team, this there's going to be a lot of questions. There's going to be a lot of questions. You get a full season now with Taylor Hall. You bring most of your supporting cast back. You do lose your t- your uh, second line center in David Krejci. He goes he goes home. He retires. So I think you know you have to see what goes on on the ice. I mean we've seen it against the Capitals and the Rangers so far in this preseason. But I think once the regular season hits, then you can start to formulate these opinions about the Bruins because. It's somewhat of a new era. It's kind of a changing of a guard because you're getting a new goaltender. You go from Tim Thomas to Tuka Rast to now Jeremy Swayman is your guy. Is he going to be able to live up to what a great stretch he had during last season's run? But in the city of Boston and the state of Massachusetts, the action is all over the place. Between the Red Sox playoff race and Tom Brady's return, it's a very entertaining time to be a Boston fan. Finally, to wrap up our show, as we always do, we look at our LOL moment of the week. And this is an LOL moment. It's a boneheaded moment. It's a what are you doing moment. It's all over the place. So without saying anything else, this week's LOL moment of the week goes to... Devin Williams, the pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers out of the bullpen. So let me give you a little brief story. The Milwaukee Brewers clinched the NL Central on Sunday, which means the champagne was popping. They were partying. They were going absolutely nuts. And someone who was going really nuts was Devin Williams. And what does he do when he gets a couple of drinks in him? He thinks to himself, I'm going to punch a wall. And sure enough, he does punch a wall. But guess what? That wall breaks his hand and he will miss the playoffs. Now, keep in mind, what this guy, Devin Williams, has done for this Milwaukee team so far. In 58 appearances, he's 8-2 with a 2-5-0 ERA and 23 holds, okay? The Brewers could, that just damaged their postseason right there. If you don't have a good bullpen, you're done. Because let's face it, it's not just about starting pitching going seven innings anymore. It's about getting fresh good pitching and this guy is not fresh his pitching hand is broken he's not going to be in the playoffs what are you thinking what are you thinking when you're hammered like this like that's just for anyone out there who's drinking who thinks you know what i'm gonna punch a wall because alcohol will give me super strength and i'll never get hurt that's a real good thought for all you people out there who get a few drinks in you this guy He's got to be smarter than this, okay? He can have some drinks in him, but he's got to be smarter, okay? He can go out and party and do all this kind of stuff. But punching a wall? Punching a wall? You're kidding, right? I mean, I remember recently Marcus Smart did the exact same thing 
to, I think, like a picture frame, and he was out for a couple of weeks. But luckily, that was a regular season. You know, it wasn't like any kind of postseason thing, I don't think. This dude celebrates by punching a wall, and sure enough, he's gone. Gone for the postseason, okay? That is absolutely ridiculous. It's got to be, you know, I'm not going to say it's like a freak injury because, you know, we've seen freak injuries of the past. You know, there's Kendry Morales who blew out his ACL jumping onto home plate after a walk-off Grand Slam, okay? That was just a freak injury, okay? Um, I forget the kicker. Uh, I forget his name, but he was on the Cardinals. He's, cel- he's celebrating kicking a field goal. He jumps in the air, boom, torn ACL, stuff like that. But, like, this is in the line of, like, Gus Farratt headbutting the stands and breaking his collarbone, okay? This is a decision that he made. You know, granted, he was intoxicated and stuff like that. Probably wasn't thinking straight. But he made this decision on his own to punch a wall, okay? This is not a freak injury. This is a you-are-stupid injury, okay? Devin Williams, I don't know what your party habits are. But the fact that you decide to punch a wall, break your hand, miss the playoffs for winning a division lands you into this week's LOL Moment of the Week. So that will do it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in if you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Make sure you follow our other pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you've got a point you got to get across, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.